0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of the clean libertarian podcast and happy Monday morning or Monday afternoon or whenever it is that you're actually listening to this. Um, Hope that you guys go out there and have a kick-ass work week. I know that I am starting out on my new job. So you guys, you know, wish me luck, say, say a little prayer for me or some good vibes or whatever you got to give. I'm sure it'll be okay, but uh, you know, Hey, new chapter, right? That's what we do. Um, I think it'll be okay. I'm not, not too nervous. I'm a little nervous, which, you know, Hey, that means that I'm giving this the adequate sincerity that I need to give it. Right. If I was just kind of like cavalier about it, I I think that might be an indication that I'm heading for a, uh, for, for a little slip or a little bad time. But, uh, no, I think we're going to be okay. I will keep you guys in the loop, but, um, Today's guest, this is kind of cool how this happens. So I was perusing on my Twitter timeline, and a mutual follower pointed out an organization that I have not heard from for a while, uh Dance Safe. So for those of you who have not heard of Dance Safe, let me kind of break it down and, and how I know about them. So years ago when I was still doing my thing and running wild and you know, partying and all that. You know, drug test kits and the like weren't really a a widely acquirable thing, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So whenever I got my hands on, you know, an ecstasy tab, rather than just kind of guesstimating it, there was this website from DanceSafe. Where they had an, a catalog of sorts, you know, all the known ecstasy tabs, what's in them, how safe they are to consume. And you could cross reference what you had cop to that. So you at least had a baseline understanding of what you're about to get yourself into. So, you know, years pass, and then I'm on Twitter and I see the name, and I'm like, man, they're still around. And I kind of looked at them and looked at what they're doing. And these guys, not only do they still do what they're currently, you know, what they were doing back then, but they've actually ramped it up. They, you know, provide fentanyl test strips. They do a lot of stuff, a lot of outreach at concerts and festivals and things like that. So they are still doing the damn thing. And so I had to reach out to them and in doing so got a hold of Rachel. You know, she is amazing. This, this, uh, this person is knowledgeable about not only like what they're doing currently, where they've come from, but also has a bright vision for what the future will hold for them. And this is just a really cool interview, breaking that down. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring on Rachel from DanceSafe. All right. And I am joined by Rachel from DanceSafe. Rachel, thank you so much for um, answering the email and and making this happen. Uh, Like I, we were talking a little bit before the show about how, you know, I I have a history with DanceSafe and I was... (laughs) shocked to see that that it was still around, but really glad to see that it was too. Um, so that way I don't butcher your intro. Why don't you ex- you know, kind of describe a little bit about who you are in the organization and all of that?
1: Sure. So my name is Rachel. I use she, her pronouns. I started with Dance Safe in, I would say, approximately 2014 as a volunteer. And that was kind of by accident. I just knew people in the Southern California rave scene that were involved in DanceSafe. And So I started hanging out with them more and ended up meeting Kristen, the Director of Operations at Lighting in a Bottle 2016, maybe later than that. I'm actually, I don't even know at this point. And then at one point, I noticed that there were some things that I was seeing on the website that I wanted to change or some information that I wanted to offer. So I just contacted Kristen and said, do you guys need some help? And since we already had a personal relationship, then she said basically, yes, please, please. Um, and it's funny to hear people say, I knew Dance Safe in the 90s or the early 2000s. I can't believe you guys are still around. We get that all the time of people being shocked that Dance is still doing our thing, but we've never had so big of a constituent base. So we're, we're way bigger than we've ever been before. Um, but yeah, I, I contacted Kristen and then ended up just going from an unpaid intern to a paid intern to a contractor to a staff member.
0: Right on. I mean, you couldn't pick a better organization. I mean, I obviously Seriously. didn't know you guys were still around, but... The, you. DanceSafe started out a necessity. DanceSafe started because yeah. there is these draconian drug policies and laws that, that, you know, keep these substances in the black market. And especially nowadays with the rise of fentanyl and everything else, like you guys are providing a service that is valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unfortunately, the reality that we live in is that consumers are highly undereducated about what product they are purchasing and there's really no follow-up for it you know for them on the back end so you know like i said you know i used dance safe back in the day when i was doing you know x here in you know central oklahoma just a little small town called yukon and i mean hell we didn't know these pills all we knew is that they were coming up from texas and Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we'd find them on the website and we'd know, okay, this is good. Now we better stay away from this one, you know, stuff like that. So very valuable service. Um, what would you say on a, on a given, you know, uh, event? Did you guys go out and do any kind of outreach at like, you know, different raves and concerts or
1: how oh, do you yeah, guys yeah. do that? So that's actually kind of the bulk of what we do. Um, since the start of the pandemic, a lot of our services have gone digital for obvious reasons, and now we're starting to get get back in cautiously, cautiously, very cautiously get back into servicing events again. But that's kind of like the basis of how DanceSafe is known and loved is that we send out, we're a volunteer organization, right? So we have chapters across the country
0: mm-hmm. and
1: within those chapters, there are chapter officers and chapter volunteers, and they're all volunteers, right? We also have outreach coordinators that go out and coordinate specific events, in specific areas that are usually local to them. And um, at those shows, it really depends on the promoter's comfort level, but we can offer any kind of variety of our services running the gamut from just offering free condoms and earplugs and drug information cards, or if a promoter is really on edge, then just condoms and earplugs. We really meet people where they're at, um, all the way up to having a, a tent behind our booth where we test your drugs on site. So nice. we also, yeah, we sell drug checking kits and fentanyl test strips on site whenever possible. We teach people how to use them properly. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of on site stuff that goes on, and we're working on expanding outside of rave and festival communities right now to include other um, music and nightlife communities and and people use drugs as well.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, that's you absolutely need that. You know, um, what would you say? And, and given that you've worked in the industry, actually, let me go back because. I'm getting kind of wrapped up in my questions. Should I should have asked you, can you can you give a brief outline as to for the audience? Because I'm talking to you from a position of understanding what dance safe is. Totally. Can you explain?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: forget that my audience may not know who what Dance Safe is. Can you can you describe what it is as a whole that you guys do?
1: Yes, wait, I'm I, sorry. I can do that. No, it's it's so so fine. So Dance safe is a 501c3 public health nonprofit that is, and we're in the process of rewriting our mission statement right now as part of our brand refresh, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase what I feel that we do at the moment. All right. um, we are known for our services for people who use drugs in terms of harm reduction, which we are now, I, I personally and many others in the org are referring to as risk reduction and benefit maximization, to emphasize this notion that it's not just that we're reducing harm, we're actually also... Allowing room for people to have positive experiences with drugs, which does happen and happens all the time without incident. But we only really have major conversations about when things go horribly, horribly wrong with drugs. And the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of people that use drugs do so in a way that is so covert that no one even knows, let alone is like this is a problem. So we service both people that are having trouble with substances and people that want to have an enhanced experiences with substances an enhanced experience sorry and um the way that we do that is and it's not just substances i should clarify we we also have um programs in drug checking materials which is obviously drugs but we also have a we love consent program which is super awesome um and very necessary in harm reduction and in nightlife communities <laughs> very necessary but we also have um programs around mental health around gender identity around sexuality we basically are a public health organization that services predominantly music and nightlife communities but other communities too where possible um and the people within them the people adjacent to them we specifically are non-judgmental unbiased factual information about substances but also about just um we, I, I don't really like to use the word holistic because it feels not really in line with the, the vibe of what we do, but right. um, really like acknowledging that people are intersectional beings and individuals are ecosystems. And in order to address one facet of a person's existence, we have to be taking care of the other facets of their ex- existence too. So drug education, social justice lens, um, outreach at events. So we offer free services for donation if people desire. We manufacture and resell test kits. There's a lot going on.
0: That's just absolutely beautiful. And you, you really do touch on a point. So like, the people who aren't in the culture, right? Who aren't in that counterculture, they look at drugs, especially the harder you go, as only bringing about bad experiences. Not realizing that like, look, I'm an addict. I'm in recovery. You know, so I've, I've got some clean time, but Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I would not have become an addict if it wasn't awesome,
1: <laughs> right? Like yeah. I didn't. Have,
0: there's fun to be had, you know. It's the dividing line in between addict and not addict, though. In the counterculture, is those who can moderate and those who can't. You know, there's mm. certain people who can't. I mean, it's just part of it. And so, to pretend like, oh, this substance is bad because person A had a bad experience, not realizing that right. person B can have a fulfilling experience. It's mm-hmm. kind of robbing the world of, you know, and I know you don't want to use the term holistic, but like in my, you know, thinking and my understanding of it, like a lot of these substances came about because of medicated medical purposes, particularly ecstasy, you know, that was used in couples therapy and it's still being utilized in some way, shape or fashion. You know, I think aren't they doing PTSD mm-hmm. patients, mm-hmm. you know, so I mean, like there's medical value and benefit, but this is America. Damn it. You know, like yeah. we should be able to, it doesn't matter if there's a medical benefit or not, if it's what you want to yes, do, you should be exactly, able to do it.
1: Exactly.
0: And so um, the fact that you are, you have your finger on the pulse on that conversation, that makes me really happy.
1: Yes. Us too. Us too. Um, I think that we are kind of shifting the narrative a little bit away from we neither, we do not condone drug use kind of deal to we're condoning people having fulfilling experiences that don't cause harm to themselves or others because they have informed consent so they can decide that they are consenting to what they're doing mm-hmm. and that's what our current climate around drugs and the drug market is preventing is informed consent it's literally a non- an unconsensual experience to do a drug where you don't know what it does Or you've been lied to flat out about what it does, which is what, frankly, a lot of drug education does, is it is completely unfactual. It is not truthful education. And that does not leave any room for people to make informed decisions about what they're doing with their bodies, including abstinence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, not only does it do that, but it stigmatizes across the board. Yeah. You know, yes. and so the likelihood of somebody, I mean, if you're going into a back alley to have to utilize your substances and this or that, be it recreational, be it a habit, it doesn't matter. Like you're still mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're putting a portion of your life away from the light. You know, you are putting your portion of your life into the shadows. So, yeah, whatever grows there or happens to, to be, it's going to, you know, just kind of linger, man. And you're not going to be able to get help for that or mm-hmm. use safely. That's the other thing. You know, like how difficult is it for y'all to talk about recreational purposes with some of these substances? Like, is there, I would imagine there's a section of the population you talk to and it's like talking to a brick wall almost.
1: So um, I actually manage 100% of our communications and our social media. So I am the person that responds to every opinion that we have, wow. and it, it gets exhausting a lot of the time because, um, well, there are, many, there are many facets to it. What it really comes down to ultimately is that my current position is that I do not, even though I might get frustrated on a personal basis because I'm not saint, you know, like I, I get frustrated. It's hard not to when you're faced with so many opinions that you feel to be so damaging to other people. But also at the same time, it's so important to recognize that people have been systemically denied information about what's going on and why. It's not anyone's fault that they don't know about drugs. And I really, I really believe that. I really do think that even the most aggressive person who is Um, saying terrible things about people that have substance use disorders or people that use certain drugs in general. I really believe that that person has been failed by systems that could have been put in place to offer information that would provide alternative viewpoints. and it, It just wasn't available to them, you know? So, It's complicated, right? Like, there are a lot of people that have very stigmatizing views on drugs, especially because we're moving into this lens of publicly saying that all drugs are just inert substances until you do something with them. They're no different than each other until you do something with them. It is how that specific drug happens to interact with your specific ecosystem that has an outcome. And there are certain things that are more consistent about what that outcome will be. But it's never guaranteed pretty much ever and so it's just it's so much more complicated than people have the tools to understand and um we definitely i definitely encounter a lot of blowback about things like when i say that for instance all drugs should be decriminalized you know people immediately get very up in arms about that and the thing is i understand why it's not like it's an unreasonable opinion for someone to hold if they haven't had the ability to do something that people in harm reduction have done for their jobs, which is spend tens of hours per week researching this stuff. You know, it's, it's not their fault that they don't know, especially as a person whose own opinions and sentiments have evolved significantly through time. And I used to hold a lot more stigmatizing opinions than I currently do. And it's just a matter of recognizing how much time and effort and how many materials are needed to make that happen. And people are living, in difficult conditions all across the board right now, like people are really struggling to make their basic necessities happen and to expect people to have a nuanced understanding of something like why I think that meth should be decriminalized is too much to ask, you know?
0: Right. So that's
1: really that's really the goal that I've been trying to instill personally from a social media perspective um, is to allow for more light to be shed to amplify the issues that are currently happening and to offer people a shortcut to find that information without needing to dig through a ton of gunk. So we try to be as reliable as humanly possible in that regard.
0: That's a admirable position that you're in to to have to fill that stuff, but it sounds like you have exactly the right attitude because once you start getting a chip on your shoulder with it, then you can stop working with others. I very much do the same thing with my podcast, you know, like it's all about trying to bridge that gap and talk to other people about decriminalizing everything or legalizing whichever way I prefer the decrim, obviously. But um, having that conversation with somebody whose son or daughter might have overdosed and died, it's a very tough position to be in, but I think it's possible. I think Mm -hmm. it's possible to have that conversation so long as we keep that mentality of altruism, you know, and kind of like empathy. Um, Yeah. um, That's kind of that's kind of that thing. I mean, I'm in, like I told you, central Oklahoma uh, involved in recovery there's a lot of people that I have and I love in my life that do not agree with me when I'm like legalized recreational cocaine, you know, Uh,
1: (laughs) I bet that that one is received well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially when there's a lot of tweakers in Oklahoma. So, you know, they, they look at me talking about like, you know, decriminalizing meth is, you know, advocating for rape or something out here. Like they really take it personal, like methamphetamine for a while in Oklahoma, ran its, its course, you know, and it, it is what it is now, but, um, you know, on the other side of it, there's a conversation to have as long as I I keep my, my mindset right and approach it. Um, I did want to kind of bounce back to something that you talked about. You know, you guys said that you're doing drug tests at, at festivals, what percentage of the drugs that you're testing are coming back positive for fentanyl now?
1: So that's not really a question that I'm able to answer easily. And the reason is that, well, there are a couple of reasons. The first is that we are in the process of implementing more effective documentation of our tests. But the fact of the matter is that we're a volunteer-led organization on the ground. Like we have four paid staff members and a bunch of contractors, but we have very few folks whose full-time job is harm reduction who can oversee those efforts. So um, we don't have record keeping from drug checking that I personally would trust to pull from just because it's always possible that volunteers didn't use fentanyl strips correctly, for instance. And That's not something that I think happens super often because we generally tell people that if they don't feel 100% confident using the strips at festivals, they shouldn't use them. And so we have, um, I would say more data from anecdotal reports from people sending in their test results to us than we would in the field, especially because the fentanyl crisis really started ballooning even more during COVID when we weren't doing outreach. So It's a, it's a bit of a complicated question. You know, I wish that I had hard data to pull from, but the thing about harm reduction is that if you don't feel completely confident in your data and the validity of it, sharing it can do more harm than good. Yeah. So I would rather say, I, I don't know than just make up a number and pretend that our, our systems are perfect.
0: I I can respect that wholeheartedly. Um, just talking about fabricating information. There was that headline that hit a couple of days ago about the San Diego police officer,
1: Uh, you know?
0: Yeah. So just for the audience that you know, what I'm talking about, but for the audience, you may not know. So this Uh. article came out that this, this officer passively caught an overdose from just being in the same room as fentanyl. And, you know, obviously it came out. That's completely false did not happen Mm -hmm. at all, but that's that type of thing, you know. And so I'm glad to see that that you know you're you're taking the stance that you are, and you guys aren't um, even for the sake of conversation, you know, putting out anything that you can't verify. I can respect that.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry about that. You just cut it. You just cut out for a second.
0: Did I? Okay. All right. We're back. I can edit that yeah, out. It's not that. a big deal. <laughs> All right. Um, so, what would you say? Um, have you guys been getting? A lot more volunteers. How are you looking in that that portion of the uh, of the organization?
1: So recently, we've been getting a pretty hefty influx of volunteers, and it's it's a little bit intense for us right now, just because we are such a small team, and there are a lot of things underway at the moment. So um, we're currently in the process of revamping our existing chapters following the pandemic not like we're out of the pandemic but um nearing a different chapter of the pandemic we are in the process of onboarding more volunteers of um connecting people to different chapters it's it's a little bit of a uh, a mess right now I think I just lost you again <laughs> Yeah, I got you. Okay. okay. One
0: more time. All right. Take take three. We got this. We got this this time. Yeah. I can edit that out. Like I said, not a problem. This is why okay. I don't stream though. This is a perfect example of why I don't stream. No, so
1: totally. Like totally. This, yeah.
0: I am not tech savvy enough to deal with it. You know, like I'm
1: not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure.
0: Okay. So what, what has... Let's just talk about the pandemic. So like, how did that affect you guys as far as outreach and being able to help other people? I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stats. Overdose rates are through the roof. It's incredibly sad. Um, Mm -hmm. How have y'all approached that? Like, what has been your role during all of this?
1: Well, since all of our outreach basically came to a complete halt, At the start of the pandemic, you know, it was it was really a mad scramble because we have such a limited capacity, such a small staff. We were all just putting our heads together constantly saying, what is the next thing that is going to be the most impactful during this time? So all of our services pretty much went digital, which meant that it was all a social media based effort. And what we kind of did during that time was um, place a heavier emphasis on developing our social media presence, our digital presence, because everyone was flocking to the Internet. Right. And what better place to disseminate information than on an Internet that is fuller than it has ever been before? So we started producing educational materials at a higher pace. Um, We started doing more information about substances online, as opposed to like flat out information that's more accessible. So on our Instagram, for instance, um, during, I think it was late August, early September of last year, uh, we started doing daily drug quizzes on Instagram. So you can go on, it's it's not every day. (laughs) It's it's most days out of the week, I would say. Um, There are drug quizzes that, so you can kind of test your knowledge, get some more information started building up highlights about various substances, drug history, et cetera. So really just kind of um, ballooning this effort for getting out as much information as we could using the resources that we had available to us. And we have seen kind of a a mixture of things happening in terms of our drug checking materials sales. But uh, recently with this announcement of the confirmed fentanyl and cocaine in Denver, that there has been just a massive influx of orders for fentanyl test strips. So the next step is making sure that people actually use them correctly, because if you don't use the fentanyl test strips right, then you are at a risk of false positive or false negative. And it basically negates the value of the test and wastes your money and gives you a false sense of security. So it's important to do the messaging as well as the actual materials, because if you don't use them right, it, it can actually make things worse by making you uh, internalize information that is not correct, which makes it even harder to dislodge.
0: Wow. So, okay. Are all these materials as far as like how to test drugs properly and all that, is that on the dance safe website still?
1: Yes, it is dance slash shop.
0: Right on. So that's somewhere that is probably a good place to go. If you're still in the scene. Um, yes. Drugs have just been going weird, man. Like, so around yeah. here, <laughs> around here, you know, like an eight ball of meth used to be easily 200 300 dollars depending on the quality um as early as last year i heard about an eight ball costing 20 bucks like just it, it it, it, and yeah like that was the going rate that's how much it was like it was cheap i mean for five bucks you're getting a teener like it's insane the amount of drugs that was going around but the quality of them was bad and people were acting very strange, you know, being involved in recovery. Like it's just kind of one of those things that go hand in hand. I work with these folks, you know? Um, And so like, this is, this is kind of like my soapbox of like, fuck the drug war, you know what I mean? Because like, we wouldn't be in this position if we could, you know, decriminalize and, and, you know, have people do knowing substances. So, I don't know where I'm going with this, man. I'm just saying that like drugs are getting weird. <laughs> Dude, so oh, like,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's been. Sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I was saying fentanyl showing up in coke, like you told you were talking about. Like that's what an upper with the downer. I mean, you're speed basically at that point, you know.
1: Well, the thing about fentanyl is that our current, our running working theory is that what's actually happening is accidental cross contamination, which is why. Uh. Yes, it's not actually likely at all. In fact, it would be incredibly inefficient and nonsensical to intentionally cut fentanyl into cocaine. Like, why would anyone do that? People say it makes your product more addictive. Well, first off, that's not how addiction works. And second off, that is not guaranteed. And third off, there is literally no one that's going to ingest fentanyl, an opioid, and say wow that was fire Cocaine I'm going to go back and buy More of it right it's like there's No way so When we see fentanyl pressed into Like Xanax bars for instance that's A different story that's intentional That doesn't happen it was happening I would say More often than I would Was comfortable with well I'm never Comfortable with it but it was happening More in 2019 2020 I think and I haven't seen it as much This year but The trend of fentanyl appearing in just powdered drugs in general, like there have been cases. They've been very few and far between, but there have been cases of fentanyl getting mixed in with other powdered substances. And without seeing the data sheet on the top of my head, I don't want to quote which they were, Um, but we have had reported toxicology cases of fentanyl and, and all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't expect it to be in. We have a suspected contamination case in Denver for MDMA and meth, but that is not confirmed by toxicology reports. So that's that's positive speculation, but um, and it, it's always very risky to speculate about what was and was not fentanyl related, because the majority of people don't actually know what fentanyl is or how it works. They just know that it's scary and it's in stuff. So that's the issue with the police officer, like you mentioned earlier, is that people hear of anything going wrong and if drugs are even suspected to be within 50 feet of it they say oh it's a fentanyl overdose and the fact of the matter is that there are uh, like over a thousand novel psychoactive substances and hundreds of new ones enter the market on a regular basis I can't remember if it's annually or biannually but you know there are just synthetic substances naturally occurring analog substances like there are just so many more drugs than people realize and what you're saying about the drug market being just just wild right now like it's it's fucked you know it's never been like this before Yeah. And it like never. No one has ever seen it like this before. And people don't realize that there aren't just ten drugs. There are a thousand. And there aren't just five things they could be cut with. There are thousands. Like anything can be cut into most things. So when you say that people are getting twenty dollar eight balls of meth, that really concerns me because what generally ends up happening is that producing certain drugs is more tedious and time-consuming and dangerous because the precursors are more heavily controlled, which are the ingredients to make the drugs, or the production process is more closely watched. So for instance, there are, in, in certain regions of the country, including yours, there are definitely an increased number of watches out for meth lab contaminants and the purchases of certain precursors needed or materials needed to make meth. So what ends up happening is that folks will find an analog, which is a a slight tweak to an existing drug that kind of mimics the effects to varying degrees of effectiveness. And since it's so much cheaper and easier to produce, especially if it's more potent, which is what the initial issue with fentanyl was, was that it's so potent that you didn't need much product at all to adulterate a whole batch. And it used to be just fentanyl and dope, but now it's in all kinds of things. So that's, that's a bit of a ramble. If you can't tell, I do talk about this stuff all day long. Every day. I mean,
0: this is, this is my home. That's, yeah. I mean, that's right. <laughs> yeah. This is where I stay. I talk about this stuff. Um, but Great. yeah, so one of the other issues with this, you know, like the cheat myth I was talking about is like, people complain about having blurred vision. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the theories is that that's actually nickel poisoning from the gun bluing they're using to put in, uh, in the manufacture process. Mm-hmm. Uh which that's, that's comforting, you know, like that's, that's good. That's good to hear. But, um, you know, you're exactly right. And so, you know, if it's cheap, that means that they're using a new, a new brand or a new cook, a new something and or a new drug altogether could be that completely, you know? Um, yeah. The thing that's, that's the most concerning is it almost seems insidious to a certain degree because I mean, you look at $20 for an eight ball. I mean, how much production would you have to do and how much would you have to sell to just break even? You mm-hmm, know, I mean, like mm-hmm. it's, this isn't the days of like, you know, the, the P2P or the, you know, phosphorus stuff or the, uh, you know, like the higher end cooks, you know, like this, this is something different entirely. Um, yeah. We're getting off on <laughs> your territory, but
1: yeah, just, yeah, I'll sit
0: here and think about it all the time. I'm like, man, this just doesn't seem right. Something's well, wrong here.
1: As an important note to put in there, um, if you come across substances that you suspect are adulterated or that seem suspicious in that way, the first thing to do, right, is to test it with a reagent drug checking kit at home um, because the, the point of those drug checking kits is not to tell you this is what's in it, it's to tell you this isn't what you're looking for if that is the case. So for instance, if you buy a capsule of MDMA, you scrape off a little bit of crystal Um, you're supposed to use at least three of our reagents on it. One reagent almost never cuts it, except for Ehrlichs, which is a separate thing. Um, But if you use a dropper of Marquis and Frody and Simon, those are just three of the names of the different kinds of chemicals that we use to identify different substances, they should turn respectively black, black, and blue in the presence of MDMA. So if you do those three tests, and for instance, Marquis turns orange, then that's what you're looking for is this isn't what I was expecting. That's what the tests are good for. So if you wanted to do that with a sample that you came across, and especially if it doesn't react as anticipated, then a great next step is to send it into drugs data, which is a lab that accepts submissions for hundred dollars. You can send in um, crystal powder, whatever, I think it's 150 for a pressed pill and they will run full gas spectrometer um, they will they will like actually look at it with full lab tech and post the results on their website database, drugsdata.org. So that's an excellent way if there's something that is really suspicious in your area to um, check it out and see if there is actually something going on that's worthwhile of, of alerting the general public because drugs data will tell you exactly what's in it.
0: I'm going to add that to the list because I haven't had that at my disposal. I'll, I'll definitely be passing that information along. Um, yes. You know, a lot, a lot of my work and we are in the unique position out here. Also, where'd You, you say you're in California or you're in Colorado? I'm sorry. Which one?
1: Oh, um, I'm actually on the road right now. At, at this moment in time, I'm in Santa Cruz.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. You're traveling. Um, but, Yes, yes. So, like I would imagine that the place places that you live have a little bit more lax laws as far as harm reduction goes like providing clean needles. Like you, it's not that difficult to get a clean needle in your area. Am I wrong in that?
1: Well, I actually just left Ohio after five years. So the situation in Ohio is definitely different. The overdose rate in Ohio is really high. And I should also note, that technically most of the time overdoses what we call overdoses from fentanyl are, are technically actually accidentally drug po- accidental drug poisonings because people don't know what they're doing so they can't dose it so an overdose is you do too much of your dose but if you have a bag that's totally not what you expect technically it is a drug poisoning so just throwing out that kind of like technical terminology, there's a lot of technical terminology in drugs, <laughs> in the drug world. It's all terminology. It's like, no, it's not a tweaker. It's a person who has a meth substance use disorder. You know, you have to add a bunch of words to it to make it person centric and stuff like that. Right. Um, but yeah, in Ohio, it's hard for me to really say because my, I was an undergrad in Ohio, so I was doing other things, but uh, I was also in a very liberal Bubble. I was at Oberlin College. But here in Santa Cruz, you know, I would imagine that it's significantly easier to um, acquire. Frankly, working through DanceSafe, though, most of what I do is not in the realm of um, overdose or drug poisoning reversal. Um, We don't distribute syringes, for instance. We we work with a predominantly privileged constituent base, which is something that we are working to change. It's difficult to do that after 23 years, but we're trying. Um, so my immediate vision is usually not on things like syringe exchanges. Um, and that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's a problem. Like people that are involved in the drug world don't have enough exposure to the ways that people are being really harmed by drugs um, unless it immediately impacts them. So I will fully self-admit that that is a thing that I'm currently working on becoming more involved in. But generally the laws or the, the social culture I think is the most important thing, honestly. And the social culture of California is certainly more drug-friendly than most places.
0: Right. I I, I can respect that. Um, and I know that you guys will get around to it when you're supposed to. I know that like. Here in Oklahoma, like you have to have a prescription to get a clean needle. Like you cannot buy one over the counter. It's insane. Um, and then we're like, hey, why is why are people getting hepatitis C at record numbers? Like, why right, is this
1: happening? Right. It's
0: like, well, obviously, right. dude. I mean, what'd you expect? Um,
1: completely preventable.
0: Right, completely. but completely. Yeah, hundred percent. But you know, the cool thing is, is that a non there's a nonprofit in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, very very similar to Dance Safe, you know. But they they do needle exchange, Narcan, they they hand out, they have all the resources and information out. An organizi- or organization, blah, sorry, like that is able to prosper in those places. So, like, I would imagine that there is a very easy pathway for you guys, uh, you know, assuming that you had the volunteers in the area to be able to do something like that. So mm. I'll be watching and paying attention. I bet you guys <laughs> get it done.
1: Yeah, when, when COVID efforts ease up a little bit, um, when when our capacity isn't completely, we're doing a brand refresh right now. So our capacity is just absolutely maxed out on doing the basics of what we're already doing. Um, we would really love to be able to find a way to be more involved with Narcan. And that's our, that would be our first thing is Narcan because the um, constituent base that we serve is, is much more likely to come and pick up Narcan than to feel comfortable coming and picking up syringes. Um, but we definitely, we have our eye on a lot of different things. We're all very invested in this. It's just so much to parse, you know, it's, it's so many different things that we want to be getting done. So yeah, it's, it's really tough to, to, um, to make these kinds of decisions about, where to prioritize, especially when so much of your org has been cemented in a particular kind of servicing for so long. You know, it's a lot of conversations that we're having. So yeah, stay tuned.
0: Right on. Now, what about politically? Do you guys have any kind of like work that you do with policy, any kind of petitioning? Um, Is that something that you guys stay out of?
1: we definitely don't stay out of politics we've become significantly more vocal on our social media platforms which has not been something that a lot of our constituent base has loved seeing from us we hear yeah we hear the phrase stay in your lane fairly often or i get that phrase a lot and to that i say this organization has been active for half of the duration of the drug war we have a pretty good understanding of where our own lane is. Um, we, are, we, we can't as a nonprofit make political endorsements. That's the thing: is that since we're a nonprofit, we can't do that. But what we do a lot of is signal boosting the work of policy orgs like the Drug Policy Alliance, who's probably um, my personal favorite to I love signal them. boost. Those people They're so are awesome. good at what they do. So yeah. good at what they do. I've learned a lot from the DPA. I continue to learn so much from the DPA. Their webinars are amazing. If you haven't heard of the Drug Policy Alliance, they are to me they are the leaders in drug policy reform at this moment. Yeah. So um a lot of what we do is again incorporating the work of other organizations who are actually policy specialists. I'm not a policy specialist. I'm an educator. That's my gig is I also teach a class about drugs. It's free. It's online. I can give the link later. Um, so my, my whole shtick is not in policy, which means that I have a lot of respect for the people whose whole shtick is policy, especially ensuring that we are, um, accurately and adequately reflecting the needs of our um, less privileged constituents, our BIPOC constituents, um, low income constituents. That's a really big priority for us is kind of like digging around to other organizations where that is their focus and recognizing that we cannot do it better than they are doing. So we need to make sure that all of their stuff is getting as much visibility as possible. Um, so it's hard to answer that question directly, I would say, because we are definitely very politically vocal and focused, but we also are, we kind of, I think, bring together viewpoints that we think represent our culture and disseminate them as much as we can.
0: Right on. I I, um, was just curious because I, I, I don't know if you have a working model, it's worked for 25 years. Is that how long you said
1: 23,
0: 23, Yeah. So 23 years, it's kind of working, right? So there's, you know, don't change it up too much. And you're absolutely yeah. right. I, I've had, ai had Matt Sutton on a while back, you know, from, from uh, DPA. And he was just, oh, awesome. he's, he's phenomenal, man. Um, everything that those folks do over there, you know, it, it's just top notch and they're actually in the trenches. Like they are doing that thing, you know? Oh
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And we need that. We need people yes. like that, but we also need Dance Safe to be Dance Safe, you know. So uh, <laughs> I was just curious, you know, like I said,
1: now sure.
0: for anybody listening, if they want to help out, they love the message, they love what Dance Safe is doing, how is the best way that we can do that?
1: Well, the first is honestly at this point, follow all of our socials. Uh, Dance Safe is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and depending on which flavor of dance if you want you can choose your profile so our instagram is predominantly for um our like drug education and like foundational education um we signal boost events on our instagram stories that's a big thing that we do there and our facebook is predominantly for sharing news and current events and um history and sometimes collecting information and our Twitter is my spicy hot takes on the drug war. So <laughs> <Right on. laughs> those are drug war and adjacent issues. So <laughs> depending on which of those things you want, and we do put out drug information on Twitter as well. It's just, you know, it's Twitter. Yeah. Uh, depending on which of those you want, those those are, that's the best way to really keep your finger on the pulse of what we're doing. But in terms of supporting us directly, um, you can donate to us if you so desire. Donate.danceafe.org. It's on our website as well but you can also just complete our volunteer training course and actually become part of the movement because we need people that really care about doing the right thing with this on the ground. Um, As part of our kind of cultural shifts that we've undergone because we have undergone a lot of cultural shifts, you know, like what you said about you've been doing it for 23 years, keep it up. I like, yes, but also we're in a place of saying what we've been doing hasn't been enough In a lot of areas, particularly those of equity, of justice, um, we are working to step up our game on all of those fronts. So um, we're asking that folks who wanna come volunteer with us are really checking with themselves about being invested and not just the party kids, not just getting into the festivals of also um, recognizing that drugs are super intersectional and we need to all be investing and understanding as much about Politics, as the economy, as um, identity, all of these things are related to substances. And we, we love bringing on people that, even if they don't feel really comfortable with the, what they currently know, who are interested in knowing more. Because that's what we're about, you know, is like providing the platform to, to know where to go. Um, so the volunteer training course, if you just type in Dance Safe Volunteer Training Course on Google, you can fill it out. You'll get sent paperwork and then get connected to your local chapter um we're not starting new chapters at this time because we're in the process of reestablishing our existing ones but other than that really just like getting as educated as you possibly can about as many of these issues as you possibly can caring is the best thing that anyone can do for us is really giving a shit about what's happening to other people that they haven't met and what hasn't happened but could you know not not talking about excessive anxiety or anything like that but being invested in being involved in whatever that means listening to people when they say that they've been harmed paying attention to what people say that they need in response to those harms and working to become an advocate for the health and safety of people that they may or may not know well
0: there it is i think that um I'm hopeful that there's at least a few people. I know that like I, I can toss a donation and be there as much as you can. Uh, Thank you. We, you know, between what you guys are doing and what we are doing, I'm just hoping that by the time my daughter is old and older, my age that, you know, the landscape looks entirely different than it does currently. Sure. Um, it's just crazy that things like drug court, or, or run rampant. Like I'm, I'm in the deep red state of Oklahoma, you know, fighting yeah. this battle. Like, yeah, you're tough, doing the man. real
1: stuff right now. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Wow. <laughs> but, but by God, we will get there, you know, somehow or another. Um, yeah. Rachel, you've been an absolute pleasure to talk Thank to you. Um,
1: Thank
0: you. you. You are a fantastic representation for the company or for the organization. And I know you're making everybody over there proud. So just keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure uh and i can't wait to check out more of what you do as well
0: right on all right well we'll see you later rachel
1: cool thank you
0: there you go once again thanks to rachel for being a fantastic spokesperson for dance safe and coming on and talking about it you know um i think that I speak for everybody when I say the dance safe is all the better having somebody like you at the helm directing some things because you have a bright vision for what the organization will turn into and that's awesome that's what any type of organization like that needs Um, and guys if you're listening and you want to help out like like she was talking about absolutely go and do the volunteer application if you can't do that donate do something you know absolutely because these people are helping other individuals and uh that's always a good thing you know we support that type of thing around here so uh thanks again to rachel and i'm gonna go ahead and just segue into the song of the day because i gotta get out of here get started for my work day but uh, i'm gonna bring it back guys i'm gonna bring it back we're going back to when punk was great back when the misfits were still the misfits when danzig left i'm gonna say this you know and if it ruffles your feathers i'm sorry I Actually, I'm not sorry. You know what? This is my opinion, and I'm going to stand on it. But when Danzig left the Misfits, Misfits are dead, guys. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Danzig was the Misfits. Bottom line, and I'm going to stick with that. Anyway, that's my little rant, and I will stick to it. And I I, I believe in that today. So, uh, yeah you know wash me in your judgment if you need be but if if nothing else just listen to the song right this is hybrid moments by the misfits kick-ass punk rock tune enjoy have yourself a great week go out there and be the change that you want to see in the world around you and i love you crazy people so here you go with hybrid moments